Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you. I thank you so much, Father, not only for the fellowship of this church, uh, Father, but the leadership of the people of this church. And uh, Father, I'm not just talking about what people would call our church leadership. There are a lot of people in our congregation that are leading in a strong way. And Father, I just praise you for those. And uh, thank you for the ones that have reached out to me and encouraged me, uh, that keep me in their prayers. Uh, Father, I just, I love these people. I love this congregation. And I, I praise you again for putting them in my life and in my family's life. Father, we just thank you. Uh, sending your son down here to die for every sin that we have committed in the past, commit in the future. Uh, Father, one of the things that we're talking about today is, is how glorious your home is. And, and it's, it is that way. We are allowed in there because of your son. And so, Father, again, I, I praise you for that. That decision that you made, um, that has changed everything. And we praise you for that. And, Father, last, I want to pray for our country. Uh, Father, I don't know. You've, just, you've really put that on my heart this morning. Uh, pray for our country, the leaders of our country. Father, I just ask that you pierce their hearts and that they lean on you for all decisions. And Father, in this moment, I need you to anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Father, take all my pride, selfishness, anger, distraction, lack of confidence. Father, take that away and replace it with you, Father. I need your courage. I need your boldness. Father, most importantly, I need your love. I ask these things in your name. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. Amen. All right. A Christian's greatest problem, again, we've talked about this every single week, and I'm going to open it up the same way. A, Christian, a Christian's greatest problem is not Satan, and it is not sin. Okay, we're going to go to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. That is what is destroying Christians. Again, it's not Satan, it's not sin. Now, again, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's right. But it is the lack of knowledge that puts you in a situation where you don't know how to defeat the evil one when he does attack you. Amen? Excellent. This week we're going to continue this series that's entitled What Every Christian Ought to Know. In the last couple of weeks we've discussed a few topics in here over the last, I think it's been three or four weeks now, of what Christians should know. I want to show you that list real quick. This way, if you've got any questions on this, you can go back on our YouTube channel and, and, and check these out. But the Bible is the true word of God. Obviously, every Christian ought to know that. What seasons are in a Christian life, how you should give to the church, the difference between the old and new law, how to vote, how to pray. And then last week, we discussed water baptism. Real quick, one of the things that a lot of y'all asked, and for those of y'all that are visiting today, what we did is we had the congregation write down what they think every Christian ought to know. And I took this, all, what everybody had said, and we turned it into this series. And I would say 25% of what you people wrote down was something to do with the book of Revelation. Okay, and I announced this a while back. I will be preaching a series on Revelation in the new year, and it'll probably be January, February at the latest that I'm going to get started on that. So just wanted to give you all a heads up. I didn't want you to think that I wasn't answering those questions. Those questions will be answered in that series, okay? Just give you guys a heads up. Today, we're going to continue this series with what every Christian ought to know, and that is, what is heaven and hell like? That's what we're going to discuss today. 
I've, re I've received a lot of questions about this, uh, again, from you guys. That was a lot. I mean, a lot about heaven, not so much about hell, which is a good thing. That means you guys know where you're going. That's a great thing. Okay. So a lot of questions about that. We're going to get into that today. So let's start with what is heaven like? There was a preschool teacher, uh, she was a Sunday school teacher actually, but she taught uh, the five-year-olds. And she was teaching the kids and she was talking about how to get to heaven. And she was, had, had a big group of them, there's probably 20 kids there, and she was saying, you know, if I go out and I feed the homeless and I love on them, will that get me to heaven? And all the kids said, no, 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 that won't, that won't get you to heaven, that won't get you to heaven. And I said, Okay. And they, they, they went on and, and they said, well, what if, what, if I, what if I give a lot of money to a certain charity? Will that get me to heaven? And the kids said, no, no, that won't get you to heaven. That won't get you to heaven. And then she said, well, what if I go out and I build a home for somebody that, that had it burned down? You know, something of that nature. I said, no, that won't get you to heaven either. That won't get you to heaven. And all of a sudden, one of the boys stood up. In the very back, it was little Tommy. And little Tommy looked at her and said, you can't get to heaven with those things. And she said, well, why not? And he said, the only way you can get to heaven, you got to die. <laughs> little Tommy had it half right. There's no doubt about that. And one thing that we can always count on in this world, and there's not a lot of things that we can count on in this world, but it is the death rate. It is 100%. 11,000 people die every hour. That's 264,000 people each day. And the good news is, every one of these people have an opportunity to go to heaven. Heaven is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. But because of the lack of studying the Bible, many Christians still have a lot of questions about heaven. It's sad to say, but many people spend more time planning a one-week vacation than they do studying a place where they should be spending eternity. First question that I've received, is heaven an actual physical place? The answer is yes. We're going to go to John 14, 2. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. A place. This is Jesus speaking, and he's telling you, you're going to have your own place. Your place in heaven is not a dream or a figment of your imagination, guys. I need you to grasp that. We will have our own place there just like we do on earth. Just like your home on earth, you're going to have your own home in heaven. The Bible tells us that we will be rewarded in heaven on how obedient we are to the Holy Spirit while we're on earth. So in other words, what the Holy Spirit asks of you, the more obedient you are, God will reward you for the obedience, okay? I always picture it like this, like, like <laughs> I picture it as it's, it's, it's God's angel's construction. You know, we just call it that. And they're up there, and they're working on all these mansions, right? They're working on our place. They're working on my place. You know what I'm saying? They're working on my place. And, and every time I do something right, it's like I hear the hammers and the nails going. Every time I'm obedient to what he asks. And then every time I don't, you know, it Sometimes you drive by a construction site and you got all these men out there standing around one guy's working. That's just kind of probably what it looks like. But guys, every time you're obedient, they're working on your place. It's what they're doing. It's how they build that up. So yes, heaven is a real physical place. 
Are there animals in heaven? That was another question I got from you guys. Some of y'all must be dog and cat lovers. I, I'm going to answer this. I think some animals are in heaven. So some of them are pretty bad. But I got attacked one time by a rock waller. Her name was Pepper. I don't think she's in heaven. <laughs> but yes, there are animals in heaven. Uh, I have scripture to back this up. Revelation 19.11. I saw the heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. This is Jesus riding in on the white horse. That's fact. That's all I need. That's all the scripture I need to know that animals are in heaven. I know that might sound a little silly to some of you guys. Like, why does that matter? But we need to know about heaven. We need to know. Are there animals in heaven? We definitely know there's horses in heaven. Again, pepper I'm not so sure about. What will our bodies look like in heaven? This is another question that I got. We will have a new and perfect body just like Jesus. Um, I want to look at Philippians uh, 3, 20 through 21. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly, eagerly excuse me, waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Okay, so we will have a new body, a new form, okay? And I want you to think about this, guys. With this new body, you can run and never get tired. You can swim and never drown. I want you to think about that. You know, Chris, you can go in and bench press 500 pounds and not break your arms. You know what I'm saying? Ladies, you won't ever have a bad hair day. Men, all of y'all are going to look like the rock. Some of you ladies were like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I want to share a story with you guys. Uh, I was very close, I'm going to get choked up, to my grandfather. <clears throat> His name was Duncan Thompson. He's from Atlanta. And I call him Papa. So Papa... Uh, passed away when I was in the seventh grade. And, uh, again, we were very close. Played a lot of golf together. I don't think he ever missed a sporting event that I had. Uh, he called me Big Old Micah, even though I was about that tall, and I had a bowl haircut. It was kind of weird, but he thought I was cool. But Papa, uh, again, passing away, very close to him. When I started my business, my grandfather was a very successful business owner. And in fact, if he wouldn't have passed away, I have no doubt Micah's Jewelers probably wouldn't be around. I'd be working for Duncan Thompson Petroleum. But Papa, uh, again, big businessman, so forth. So when I started my business in 2007, just a few weeks after that, I had a dream. And in this dream was my grandfather. And I knew it was him, but he was very young, probably 30 to 35, uh, very physically fit. Uh, but, you know, looks just like him. I knew it was him. I'd seen pictures of him before and so forth. And he just looked at me and said, Big old Micah, I'm proud of you. And I woke up. And I look back today after studying heaven, and I realize God gave me a small glimpse, just a small glimpse of what it's like there. Now, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, well, there's scripture to back this up, but I'm so glad that God also gave me a visual to back it up. 
what will we be doing in heaven? <laughs> There's a few things we're going to be doing. Number one, we're going to be worshiping God. Number one, most important. Revelation chapter 5 and 7 says we will be with an amount of people that cannot be counted, uh, singing songs, worshiping to the one on the throne. I want you to imagine the best worship service that you've ever been a part of. Uh, years ago, we went to a concert. It was Lauren Daigle and Elevation Worship. It was awesome. And, I mean, the Spirit filled that entire basketball arena, I think is what it was. Forgive me, I don't remember for sure. I'll never forget Lauren Daigle coming out, and she was barefooted. Uh, and, I, and I couldn't figure out why, and I found out later. She, they had an interview earlier, and she said God told her to take her shoes off because she was fixing to be on holy ground. That'll tell you the, the, the feeling in that room. I've never walked into a place and, and felt that as strongly as I did there. But here's the thing, guys. You can take that and you can multiply it by 100, by 1,000, by a trillion, and it will not equal what it's going to feel like with a worship service in heaven. I want you to think about that worship service, like I'm talking about this one, the, the spiritual high that you had when you walked out, right? I mean, Christian head nods, anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, thank you. I'm like, I'm the only one that's been through this. Guys, that spiritual high that you have, I want you to imagine having that all the time. It never stops. That's worship in heaven. It's going to be an amazing feeling, amazing feeling. I'm not rushing to get there, but I can't wait to get there. What else are we going to be doing in heaven? Well, we're going to fellowship with other Christians. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we will join thousands upon thousands in a joyful assembly. I want you to think about the people in the past uh, that we'll get to fellowship with, you know, your family. I mean, dating back generations and generations, your old friends, past saints, the disciples, I mean, maybe even Elvis, I don't know, you know, maybe get to hang out with him. But most importantly, guys, we get to fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. It's most important. But what I love about this is we're going to fellowship with thousands upon thousands. And this is, this is coming again from Hebrews. Thousands upon thousands of Christians. It's going to be an amazing time to sit down and fellowship with people that You've always wanted to fellowship with. Always. The last and most important thing that we'll be doing in heaven, we will be serving God and we will be ruling with him. I want to look at Revelation 3.21. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. It's Jesus speaking. We get to sit with Jesus and rule and serve God forever. In Genesis, Matthew, and Revelation, the Bible tells us we will help God rule the heavens and the earth. Uh, so as you can see, we will not be sitting around bored in heaven, guys. We'll be worshiping, fellowshipping, and helping God rule all of creation. Another question about heaven uh, that I receive, uh, will we know each other? Will we know our families in heaven? It's a question I got a lot. The answer again is yes. We've got scripture to back this up. Let's go to Matthew 8, 11. 
And I tell you this, again, Jesus speaking, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you are like, why does that make any sense? I want you to notice that this verse, not only will people be able to recognize these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're going to recognize them, guys. So, yes, we're going to know each other. You're going to recognize them. You didn't even know. You don't know what they look like. You ain't got no clue. But you're going to recognize them, and they recognize each other. You've got grandfather, father, and son sitting down together at a feast. So, yes, you're going to know your family as well. If they know theirs, you don't think, I mean, we're, we're God's children just like they are. So why wouldn't we know our family? Y'all feel me? Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Again, I want you to notice this. After Jesus was transformed, the, di the disciples still recognized Jesus, and then they also knew who Moses and Elijah was. Again, more factual evidence that we will know each other. And then the last verse I want to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections. I'm sorry, imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. In this verse, guys, Paul is talking about when he becomes perfect, when we become perfect, which means when we die and we go to heaven, that's when we become perfect. We will know everything completely just as God knows us completely. I want you to catch this. So in other words, this verse will indicate to you guys, we're going to know each other even more fully than we know each other now. I want you to think about when you go to heaven. Now, this is, this is, no, it's scriptural. Because you're going to know people more than you know them now, perfectly. You're going to know people perfectly where we are imperfect now. You're going to walk across somebody, and you're going to look them in the eye, and you're going to know immediately that person, you might have met them one time in your life. You forgot about them down here because we're imperfect. But as soon as you walk past that person, your life will start bawling because that one person did some little something on your walk that helped you grow in your walk. And you're going to know it, and you're going to know who that person is. You're going to know their name. You're going to know everything about them. And the same thing is going to be with you guys. You're going to be walking through heaven, and somewhere along the way on this earth, you helped somebody else on their walk, but you didn't know it. And they're going to walk across you. And they're going to know you, and they're going to know your name, and they're going to know everything about you. That's the connection we're going to have together in heaven. We will fellowship, we will know each other, and we will know each other well. And family, again, we'll know each other. Another question I've been asked a lot. This one's hard. Um, if I had a miscarriage, will I see my babies in heaven? It's a great, it's a great question. The answer is a definite yes. And I've got 
some strong scripture to back this up. Number one, the Bible tells us once a baby is conceived, it is a living being. Amen? Amen. Not only that, just even before the baby is conceived, God already has a personal relationship with that unborn child. Already. I want to go look at Psalms 139.13 and Jeremiah 1.5. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. And then I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. If God knows you, you're his. And if he knows you, you will dwell with him forever in heaven. So yes, if you've had a miscarriage, you're going to see that baby in heaven. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> Amanda and I, we lost two kiddos. Um, and you know, I got three girls. I have no doubt I've got at least one of them two. Surely God's made a son for me up there in heaven. <laughs> Surely he's done that for me. But I have a feeling because God has a great sense of humor with me. I'm going to have five daughters in heaven one day. Amen? <laughs> now, this brings me to another question. Will you still be married to your spouse in heaven? I want to look and see what Jesus says on this topic. Let's go to Luke 20, 34, and 35. Marriage is for the people here on earth, but in the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Raised from the dead, we're talking about heaven. They will neither be married nor be given to be married. Now I want to go look and see what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 19. This will confuse you a little bit. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself, right? Exactly, because he don't contradict himself. You just got to do a little research and you'll figure this one out. I'm going to break this down for you guys. There is no marriage in heaven. There's not. It tells us that in, in Luke chapter 20. We just read that. that we're not going to go back on what Jesus said ever. Amen? Jesus clearly states it. However... This does not imply that husband and wife will not have a different, unique relationship. I really struggle with this one, and I tell people this all the time, because Amanda, that's, that's my soulmate, that's my best friend, that's the love of my life. And if you tell me that when I go to heaven, I'm not going to have that, I struggle with that, guys. I mean, I do. I struggle with that. But here's the thing, and I need you all to catch this, and it took me a long time to figure this one out. Now, again, this is a complete Micah-ism, not biblical. Understood? This is my thought process. And the only reason it's my thought process is because he's proven this to me in the past. You want to preach? <laughs> Guys, here's the thing. 
what I have with my wife on this earth is unexplainable for me. Think how much better it's going to be in heaven. I truly believe that we will have a connection with our spouse. I do. I, I believe that. We will have a connection. Because here's what I need you to get. You know your kids. So, so why wouldn't you know your wife? The, the mother of your children or, or the husband, the, the father of your children. Why would you not know your spouse? Think about it, y'all. We know we're going to know our children. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's three generations, sat down together knowing each other. I have, in my Micahism, my mind, my spirit truly believes we will have a strong connection with our spouse. But there is no need for marriage in heaven, guys. I need you to catch this. That's for earth. How does God build his kingdom on earth? Through marriage. We're going to be in his kingdom. There's no growing in anymore. There's no need for marriage. Whatever he has in store for us in heaven with our spouse is so much better than what it is down here. Now that excites me. Now I want to talk about hell for just a second. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I truly believe that everybody in this room isn't going to hell. Amen? But we're going to talk about it just a little bit. I just want to scare the mess out of you, okay? I want to start with the most important point about hell that everybody in this room needs to grasp right now. God didn't create hell for his people. He created hell for Satan and his demons. He never wanted any of his children to go to hell. Do y'all grasp that? I need Christian head nods on that one big time. Okay, excellent. A lot of people say God created hell to punish people. That's the, No, he made it for Satan and for the demons. The problem is he gave us free will, and a lot of y'all make stupid decisions, and, and, and some people aren't going to make it to heaven because of the dumb decisions. They denied him. Y'all understand that's the only thing that will keep you out of heaven, right, is denying the Holy Spirit, denying Jesus Christ, denying God. I think everybody in this room does not deny him. Amen? Amen. Excellent. So, again, I'm going I'm to get real quick with this. Okay. There have been a lot of people that have given descriptions about hell uh, and what it's like, but I want to take a look at what Jesus describes it as. Let's look at Matthew 13, 50. The wicked will be thrown into the fiery furnace uh, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Now I want to go look at Mark 9, 47 through 48. Jesus, again, it's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die, and the fire never goes out. That's, that's nasty. That's why I was just finna say, that's nasty. That's a bunch of hot maggots running around. And they're probably the size of humans. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> she just said, she said that proves there's animals in hell. Like, pepper. Pepper's there. No, I'm just... God, I'm, I promise, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. God has a sense of humor too. In Matthew, Jesus also says that hell is the lake of fire and that it is in the outer darkness. Now, I need y'all to grasp what the outer darkness is, okay? When you look up into that sky and you see stars, as far as you can see them, right? Like as far as you can see a star and then past that, it's pitch black, right? It's darker than that. It's the outer darkness, the outer darkness. 
Inner darkness is within the solar system. Outer darkness. So here's what we can gather about hell, guys. This is a description when I'm asked what hell is like. When I, on my studies, this is how I'm going to describe it to you. You're in a lake of fire, but you can't drown. You're completely burned from head to toe. You can't breathe because there's people piled on top of you that are going through the same thing that you are. And the worst thing is you can't even see what's going on. I'm very claustrophobic. If two people came up and stood side by side to me, I'd freak out. Think about being in the fiery lake of hell. You can't move because you're completely suffocated. People are just piled on you. And all you hear is screaming and gnashing of teeth. And you can't see anything. Does that sound like a place that anybody in this room wants to go? And maggots never die. Big ones. <laughs> Pepper size. I want to end on a good note. We're going to get away from hell. That's all. Anybody else want me to say anything else about hell? Thank you. Good. Let's move along. I want to finish on the topic concerning heaven again. Uh, and that's what is time in heaven. This is what I'm going to close on, guys. I want to look at 2 Peter 3.8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Time is nothing to God, guys. God is eternal, and his dwelling place is heaven, so heaven is also eternal. That's why I always say, guys, when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I tell them that's an eternal decision. It's not an earthly decision. That is an eternal decision that they made. I want to show you guys something to give you a visual of this. I want y'all to visualize this rope, okay? Just take a look at it. Let's say that rope continues. Let's say it goes from here out the door and Completely going, right? We'll call that eternity. We'll call that heaven. The problem that we have as Christians, we have to look forward to all this eternity, but we're worried about this. This is our time on earth. This is it. And we drag ourselves down and we beat ourselves up about every little thing that goes wrong. We're more concerned about this than we are the rest of this. And we're living our life that way. There's a lot of people that this, this is all they're worried about, guys. What can I do for me in this time frame? What can I do to better me in this time frame? They don't look at the big picture and the rest of that rope. Don't be that Christian, guys. Your thought process as a child of God should be the same thought process that our Father has, and that's eternity. 
we get so caught up in the crud down here. We beat ourselves up for the mistakes we make. We get stressed out about bad decisions. Guys, that is a blink of the eye to God. Focus on the big picture. Don't get so stressed out about the short amount of time that we have down here. And be very focused on doing what you can to build the kingdom of God down here in that short amount of time. Because the thing is, 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 is the more, I need y'all to think about this. Let me ask y'all a question. Do y'all consider yourselves disciples? Show of hands, who considers himself a disciple? Okay, all right. So here's my next question. Who are you discipling? How many people have you discipled? But disciple is supposed to disciple. You see, I told y'all earlier that God is going to reward us. You know, they say that God has this, the seat of judgment, but it's really not the seat of judgment. It's more the seat of, I'm going to judge how much reward to give you. At that seat, he's going to talk about everything that you did here. How much did you help me build my kingdom here? And everything that we do, again, that, that, that God asks us to do, that the Holy Spirit asks us to do, and we act on that out of obedience, it grows our place in heaven in this area. So why are we worried about building a big house here when we need to be worried about building our place here? That needs to be your thought process each and every day, guys. Each and every day, God, what can I, my prayer every morning when I wake up, and Don taught me this, the first thing I say, God, well, first I thank you, God, I praise you, I love you, thank you so much for helping me wake up another morning. What do you need me to do for you today? What do you need from me? I don't start with, God, listen, life sucks, business is terrible, I need a lot of money, and, and, and I need my kids to act right, okay, and, and, and I need the church to, to act right. Guys, you start with, good morning, Father. I love you. What do you need me to do for you today? How can I build your kingdom today? Father, put somebody in front of me that you need me to touch today. That's what it's about, guys. This whole life that we live, this Christian life, it's not about us. It's not about us at all. Number one, it's about your family. And then number two, it's about everybody else. And then you're third. Let's start living life that way. Amen?